0: Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Carlita Gazzi, and I'd like to welcome you all to the Ask the Expert Educational Series, Managing Challenging Classroom Behaviors in Early Elementary Students with ADHD. And now, I am pleased to introduce today's expert, Dr. Desiree Murray. Dr. Murray is a Senior Research Scientist at the Frank Porter Graham Child Development Institute associate research professor in the School of Education at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Prior to joining the Frank Porter Graham Child Development Institute in 2014, she was an associate professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavior Sciences at Duke Medical Center, where she served as associate director of the Duke ADHD program for six years. Dr. Murray's current research focuses on developing and evaluating self-regulation intervention in the schools. She's received approximately $8 million in funding for her work in the Institute of Education Sciences, the National Institute for Mental Health, and the Administration for Children and Families. Self-regulations, including Incredible Years' Teacher Classroom Management Program. And now, for today's expert, Dr. Murray, managing Challenging classroom behaviors in early elementary students. Dr. Murray?
1: Thank you, Carlita. Um, And just to clarify, um, I'm actually a psychologist um, by training and and background, um, which means that I have spent a lot of time um, working with families in both a clinic setting as well as working with teachers in schools. And so um, that will be the topic for today to think about um, hopefully what are some um, useful, helpful strategies for um, managing challenging behaviors and and really um, setting up uh, the classroom in ways that support students with uh, ADHD behaviors. Just a brief um, disclosure that um, I am a mentor in the Incredible Years Teacher Classroom Management Program. Um, Some of the concepts that I'm going to address today um, are based on that program. Um, And as Carlita said, uh, some of my funding comes from the Institute of Education Sciences. So the three areas that I wanted to address, actually four areas, um, is uh, first off, just briefly, Thinking about um, some key concepts I think are important in terms of understanding ADHD behaviors in the classroom, which sort of um, informs some ways that you might want to think about approaching those. Um, And then I'm going to talk a little bit about teaching self-regulation skills. Um, First off, what self-regulation skills are, um, how they're useful for kids with ADHD, and um, how that may be beneficial as part of um, other strategies that you're using. Um, And then I'll talk about proactive strategies um, uh, that promote positive behaviors and how those work together with strategies for actually dealing with some challenging behaviors. And we'll have um, hopefully about 10 minutes to answer questions at the end. So to start off in thinking about um, what we know that may be helpful to think about in terms of ADHD in young students, the first thing I wanna say is that um, this talk today is not uh, specifically designed for students who um, have uh, a formal diagnosis. Um, Certainly if students do, this will be relevant, but I also um, have framed this in a way that um, it will be relevant um, simply if you're working with students that you recognize some of these behaviors. So I'm not presenting formal DSM criteria here for ADHD, but I thought what might be more meaningful is actually thinking about what are some of the behaviors. Uh, that teachers see in the classroom, um, certainly some of the obvious things like trouble sitting still, um, not seeming to listen. What's actually interesting is that even though students with ADHD um, look like they're not listening. Sometimes they actually are. Sometimes if you call on them, they actually will know the answer even if it looked like they were completely somewhere else. And, and that actually is, um, speaking of symptoms, how, this, how the symptom of not listening is, is phrased in the, in the DSM diagnostic manual. Um, but there's a lot of other behaviors that I think can be challenging for teachers um, that are associated with ADHD and are worth thinking about for just a, a moment. So things like difficulty waiting and getting really easily frustrated, um, trouble sticking with tasks, following directions maybe is a little bit more, more obvious. Um, Trouble following rules, and some of that uh, may have to do with, as we'll talk about in a moment, really getting off track, getting distracted, and and some of it may be, at least in the moment, actually forgetting what that rule is, even if you stop them and pause them, they could probably recite what it is, but the impulsivity is really um, often what's what's driving some of the difficulty following rules and, and directions. Um, and you, of course, see that in in um, classwork as well, in terms of quality of work, um, perhaps not being what you think the student is capable of, oftentimes because they're rushing through and and making a lot of careless errors. Then there's also a lot of behaviors that um, uh, can be um, just challenging to manage in the classroom and and um, bothersome for teachers as well as other students. Things. Things that um, are impulsive and and are um, reflect some hyperactivity, including noise making, talking a lot, um, blurting out, which is um, uh, perhaps raising your hand, but calling out an answer before um, you get called upon to respond, um, behaviors that sometimes just look like they're immature or silly behaviors um, that are, again, um, oftentimes driven by um, by impulsivity or by some of the self-regulation difficulties that we're going to talk about. And sometimes some of that impulsivity can actually look aggressive. Um, I know I had a a student several years ago who had gotten in quite a bit of trouble at school because um, he had um, broken another student's um, skin with a pencil. And um, I believe there was a pretty serious suspension consequence for that. and um, clearly that was a pretty serious behavior that needed to be addressed in the classroom but um, in this particular situation the student actually did not want to harm that child it was it was um, really um, an act of impulsivity more than um, aggression Um, and some of the other social behaviors uh, that certainly um, contribute to difficulties we see with students with ADHD behaviors having trouble with friends Um, Perhaps they get along better with younger peers, Um, they may be perceived as sort of intrusive or or bossy or lacking in social skills. And as I've sort of given you a a sense, the ADHD behaviors themselves um, are not willful or intentional. Um, Now where things get uh, complicated is that for many students with ADHD, they also have other emotional, behavioral, or learning challenges that go along with ADHD. In fact, it's more the norm to have other difficulties than to have ADHD alone. And one of those very common difficulties is oppositional behavior, which if that is significant, that could have more of an intentionality to it. But the ADHD behaviors themselves um, are, are generally not intended to be willful or intentional and oftentimes the student will, will apologize and actually feel fairly remorseful um, afterwards. Um, so what do I mean by self-regulation and self-regulation being delayed? Well some of the things that um, we generally think of as reflecting self-regulation have to do with sustaining attention, being able to delay gratification, so obviously waiting, waiting for your turn, um, working hard to earn a reward. Um, Just inhibiting um, impulses that you know are um, not acceptable so that you can follow rules and do the things that you probably know you need to do. Um, And also regulating emotions is an important um, part of self-regulation. So there's both a cognitive component, an emotional component, and a behavioral component to self-regulation. And broadly defined, um, those all of those things are are um, have been in lots and lots of research shown to be pretty delayed in students with ADHD. Um, and uh, it's interesting. Some of you may follow Russell Barkley's work, and he's for many years has been speaking about students with ADHD being about 30% less mature than others. And just recently, with um, some of uh, advances in technology, we've actually been able to look at differences um, at, on a group level between um, individuals with ADHD and those without and in fact some of the areas of the brain associated with self-regulation like the front lo- frontal lobe in particular have indeed been shown to be about 30% um, delayed um, in terms of some of the connections and even in terms of some of the brain size. So that's actually a pretty helpful rule of thumb. One of the implications of that is that if you have let's say an eight year old student in your classroom that their ability to self-regulate in the way I've defined it is probably comparable to a child who's not quite six. And if you think about it that way, some of the things that you see um, probably, probably make sense. Um, and in fact, the way you would approach a younger child is probably going to be helpful for that particular student. They're probably going to need more external structure and reminders and explicit um, le- uh, instruction on behavior than certainly you would expect for um, for a third grader, um, what would co- what complicates that even more um, and has been highlighted in some recently publicized research is that if in fact this eight-year-old is in um, third grade rather than in second grade, they're going to look even less mature because uh, the norm in the classroom are going to be students who are older than them. Um, so one of the bottom line, an- another important um, concept here in terms of understanding challenging ADHD behaviors. Um, And this is also, um, I like to uh, quote um, something from Russell Barkley here, is that ADHD um, can be described as a disorder of inconsistency. And what that means is that um, having ADHD does not mean that you can't do X, Y, or Z, sit and listen for example but what it does mean is that you can't do it all the time. You can't do it consistently because the ADHD sort of disconnects um, your knowledge from your ability to follow through. So that's helpful to keep in mind as we think about behavior management strategies. And this, this inconsistency is really quite frustrating um, to both parents and teachers um and because it's certainly logically you might think well he can do it sometimes so if he's not doing it this time it seems like it is more intentional whereas in fact it's the variability that is part of the disorder itself and that inconsistency because of the difficulties with self-regulation i just described part of what that means is that kids with adhd are um, their behavior is more influenced by the situation and by the parents and teachers around them than it is for other children. And so what that means is that you may see behavior vary in from situation to situation and, and those behaviors are likely to be worse. Certainly, as um, anyone who works with young kids know that anytime kids are tired or hungry, um, those behaviors are likely to be more challenging. Um, But related specifically to executive functioning and self-regulation, anytime um, more challenging or complex tasks or tasks that require a lot of thought or or persistence or organization, those are times that are going to be more challenging and you may see more trouble um, focusing, more trouble um, staying on task um, and and following through and even doing doing careful work. Um, Also, if tasks are repetitive or boring. And again, this is going to be um, defined by the individual child in terms of their personal preferences and interests, but also their abilities. This is something that comes up sometimes with um, students with ADHD who are very bright. And in fact, um, some symptoms sometimes emerge uh, because uh, because it, they're not engaged in the material. So that's something to think about as well. We, we can see the reverse situation, of course, too, when um, information and material is... is um, Uh, too challenging and and hard to to follow and process, you can also see some of those behaviors. That's certainly where sort of good general instructional practices are are very relevant. Um, The other um, place where difficulties tend to arise more often is in less structured situations, in particular when um, adults are not monitoring students. Um, So one of the things that um, probably immediately comes to mind are transition times. Um, and those are oftentimes where um, uh, students with ADHD behaviors may end up getting in trouble. Um, so, the implications of this, actually, on a, on a broad level, is that the more situations are structured, um, when interactions with students are one-on-one versus in a large classroom, if material is novel and interesting and engaging and there's lots of reinforcement, you probably see fewer difficulties. So, there are, um, given what I have been describing, um, it's easy to understand why a lot of typical management strategies don't work, um, or at least don't work as well with students with ADHD. Um, We talked about the inconsistency and the delayed self-regulation, but another important issue here is that children with ADHD have trouble both anticipating and responding to consequences. So not only are they um, not stopping to think about gosh if I do this then this is probably what will happen so I better not. They're not pressing that pause button. Um, But they also um, which makes um, management challenging for teachers as well as parents is that they're not responding to consequences in the same way as other kids and one of the ways that they don't respond similarly is that. The connection between the behavior, the thing that they did, and the consequences, whether that be um, a positive consequence of reward or a negative consequence like um, a discipline um, procedure, To the extent that those are delayed, that they occur several hours or the next day for early elementary students, the less likely that um, they're actually going to learn from that. So this is why um, one of the things we say to parents and and teachers as well is that try to make your consequences as immediate as possible. That's a really important principle and it applies to a lot of things about working with um, um, young students with, with ADHD another important um, principle of consequences is that students with ADHD generally need more learning trials and what do I mean by that well I think about young kids who learn who need to learn the classroom rules and sort of appropriate social skills and behaviors and we generally think that first off we know that there's a lot of variability in terms of how quickly different students learn those things and it has to do with a lot of factors both individual to them as well as to their prior experiences Um, but um, we think that um, typically for kind of social behavioral types of things it might take for example 30 to 300 learning trials Um, we think of the student with ADHD they're probably more like the student who's going to take 300 learning trials to actually learn something Um, and if the teacher is in fact the one dealing with that that can be um, very frustrating especially Um, especially if some of those behaviors are interpreted as intentional or controllable when they um, may or may not be Um, and then another aspect which is um, important to consider in terms of strategies and approaches is that students with ADHD get bored with rewards easily and so um, in order to uh, maintain um, motivation with um, incentives Um, one of the things that uh, we need to think about is is how to keep those things um, uh, novel and and interesting. Alright, so let's talk for a few minutes about teaching self-regulation skills. And one of the reasons I think this is important is because um, sort of there are two major approaches that we think of in terms of um, effective treatments for, um, for ADHD. Uh, two that have been The two that have been the most researched have been of course medication and also um, behavior management strategies which we're certainly talking about today. Um, but one of the things we know actually for both behavior management as well as for medication is that it, they actually tend to only work for as long as they're being implemented and certainly that's fairly obvious with medication because of how short acting most of the stimulants are. Um, but even for behavior management, um, we tend to find that if a system isn't in place, or if um, one teacher's rules are different, one teacher's rules and consequences are different from another teacher's rules and consequences, you see differences based upon what's, what's being implemented. So one of the nice things about thinking about self-regulation skills is that these are actually something that we think um, kids can learn that actually um, can um, influence their, their behavior over time um, as a learned behavior. Um, And so there's several ways that we can think about um teaching self-regulation skills um one of those is actually formal instruction and there's certainly um curricula that are available um i mentioned a few of those here on the slide Um, the paths program second step program incredible years program all of those have some um, evidence of efficacy uh, for students um, uh, with uh, social emotional behavioral challenges including students with adhd Um, But there's other approaches for teaching these skills that don't require formal instruction and in fact um, there are ways in which um, the day-to-day interactions of um, students and their teachers and of course their parents um, actually I think can be more powerful. And so before I talk about what are some of the things that caregivers can do, let's think, um, look for just a minute at what what do I mean specifically about some of those um, self-regulation skills um, that can be promoted um, and and further developed um, in particular given that we know that there are delays in this area. So I think of those sort of both in terms of cognitive, emotional um, self-regulation skills as well as more social behavioral skills. So the cognitive, emotional includes things like persistence, Um, and part of persistence is um, uh, also problem-solving when you run into difficulties, um, some flexible thinking. Um, Being able to focus is a very basic sort of self-regulation skill um, and a sort of um, higher order skill that most early elementary students are really just beginning to develop has to do with um, being able to self-evaluate behavior um, and this is something that students with ADHD, again, are probably have some delays in and so is in fact an area where, where teachers can, can promote those skills and um, provide sort of um, a lot more feedback, for example, than they would normally do for students of that age um, to assist in developing that particular skill. Um, the emotion regulation skills are also quite important too, so I don't want to to overlook that. Oftentimes students with ADHD have a lot of um, difficulties with with frustration or what what parents and teachers sometimes might say, um, they're melting down, uh, which is sometimes a very good description um, in terms of how that looks. Um, And so some of the skills that we feel like are really important that underlie emotion regulation have to do with um, emotional literacy or being able to recognize and notice and then articulate or verbalize. uh, the feelings that they are experiencing, and then um, the flip side of that, which is also very important, is recognizing those feelings in others. And this sort of is where this becomes a skill that influences social interactions as well. And then, of course, calm down strategies, um, which for young kids are are oftentimes um, very very important, um, and not just calming down um, from getting angry, but also calming down just. Uh, when um, sort of the energy level um, or excitement or enthusiasm um, is too high being able to sort of bring that down um, to a level that is um, appropriate in the classroom and that's manageable and then some of the social behavioral regulation skills um, having to do with waiting for a turn you can you can see the parallel here with the difficulties with impulsivity so part of what um, is helpful to focus on is the skills involved in waiting um, the skills involved in um, working slowly and carefully to do your best work in um, pausing yourself before you grab something or touch someone or even give them a great big hug um, to um, uh, respect their space and ask permission to touch them first um, if you are going to touch them um, I talked about uh, using your words and that be, uh, being important. One of the things we know about young kids is that the more that they are able to actually um, express how they're feeling in words, even if it's um, being frustrated or angry, the less that they need to actually act those out. And so um, this is often an area that students with ADHD um, uh, are not, per, per, is not a strength of theirs and is something to, um, to continue to encourage and support. Um, listening behaviors obviously, and um, staying on track in the classroom with rules and routines. So what are some ideas for um, things that teachers can do in the classroom to to teach in what, what I like to call, and this is actually a term from the Incredible Years program which has some resources on this specific strategy called coaching self-regulation. So one of the things to think about is that um, uh, all the things that that teachers know and do to teach literacy are actually probably equally relevant to teaching self-regulation. So that that means being really um, explicit, systematic, and intentional about the skills that you teach. So really breaking it down and not trying to teach something that is too far above where um, the student is currently. Um, And also really viewing this as something that that can be can be taught Um, and all kids can develop skills with but just like with literacy some kids get it faster than others and some kids need a whole lot more um, support and and repetition to do that and that would certainly apply to students with um, with ADHD. But even things like modeling and then um, labeling and describing different self-regulation behaviors in the classroom that's actually very useful because it helps those students be more aware and recognize those behaviors Um, uh, and so this is where being very descriptive in your comments can be helpful too so it can be um, very clear um, exactly what you mean by it for example instead of um you know you really followed um our rules um today with cleaning up your table um saying something even more specific than that like um, you put all the crayons in the red cup and you put the scissors away in the green cup that's even more specific and it's also actually quite honestly very reinforcing that that really reflects a lot of positive attention from a teacher that is going to be motivating and that students are going to pay attention to and um, uh, most young kids really work hard to continue to get that kind of attention Um, certainly praise and incentives for some of those things and lots of lots of practice opportunities Um, and sometimes we think for again um, a good teaching tool is actually um, setting up situations so that students can be successful where a teacher or a buddy in the classroom might actually be um, assisting them to be successful Um, so uh, some example of some specific teaching methods well i think um, broadly speaking um, you know we i I think most folks who work with young kids know that um, auditory um, instruction is probably it actually is probably the method of instruction um, that most schools use more than any other but in fact we know for young kids and in particular for students with ADHD that that's probably the modality um, through which they learn the least and so anytime we can think about teaching in ways that are visual or kinesthetic so actually involve positive practices of skills the more likely and the easier it is going to be for those students to learn those skills. So um, modeling would be visual, positive practices would be kinesthetic. Um, puppets are another tool um, that actually work great with, stu- with young students with ADHD. We use these in our program through kids um, certainly through second grade and some third graders are pretty engaged too. Um, and one of the benefits as you can see in this picture is that they're, they're really engaging to kids. They're um, a very useful tool that um, can also, um, the puppet can demonstrate skills um, and the kids can um, do positive practices and, and actually be reinforced by um, by the puppet. Um, the other uh, tool that you see here in this picture, which is uh, very useful for students with ADHD as um, a reminder and redirection as well as a teaching tool, are to have visual aids. And again, because the auditory is probably not going to be Um, as effective given that we know listening is a weakness so I mentioned calm down strategies being um, important for a variety of reasons and these are just some examples of specific calm down strategies there's a number of programs in schools that are focusing on yoga and mindfulness techniques and there are a few studies that have started looking at this with students with ADHD Um, they are sort of interesting and um, perhaps promising Um, the the research is still very limited but i know um, these are things that um, uh, largely um, have been found helpful for students even young students so um, a lot of schools and teachers are um, exploring that in their classrooms Um, certainly a strategy that many teachers are probably familiar with and always already use have to do with um, deep breathing Um, we prompt our kids to um to breathe as if they are smelling the flower when they breathe in and blowing out the candle and looking at their belly to see if their belly is going up and down and that's called belly breathing um and there's other strategies as well Um, going into your turtle shell is a particularly useful one i think for young kids Um, positive self-talk can be but um, i think takes a lot of um, takes a lot of practice for young kids Um, this is just an example of a calm down area so when students are getting either very very upset or very wound up and physically they may need a space to calm down So some teachers um, find a lot of um, success with providing an area for students to do this. Um, I do want to make an important point that a calm down area is different than a timeout area. I'm gonna mention timeout in just a bit, and I wanna be clear that that calming down is something you wanna encourage students to do, so it's actually not a punishment. Oftentimes in classrooms today, there are, there's sort of group seating, which is on the one hand really, really nice in terms of encouraging um, collaboration, um, which is a 21st century learning skill, of course, but that kind of setup actually um, uh, provides a lot of distraction. So I know some teachers sort of go to the other extreme, and they've actually removed the student with the ADHD behaviors to sit by themselves or in a corner or something that actually can sometimes feel uh, pretty. Um, it can actually um, uh, reduce motivation and can can sometimes have a negative impact on self-esteem. So um, as uh, it, it, as funny as it sounds, one of the best structures for students with ADHD actually is a is a super traditional seating in rows, um, which um, again, uh, all classrooms that may not work given other goals that you have, but it is worth thinking about where can a student with ADHD um, be seated so that distractions are minimized and so that you as a teacher can actually frequently monitor them without them feeling like they're um, being punished. Um, having clear routines and organized materials so um, as it generally said the more organized the teacher the better organized a student with ADHD will be um, and a lot of rates of positive feedback and positive reinforcement again because students with ADHD are not monitoring themselves they sort of need this additional um, layer of feedback and positive positive infor- reinforcement is of course going to be more motivating than than punishment So engaging students, um, this is important because of course, when students aren't engaged, that can um, lead to um, more challenging behaviors. So the more teachers can do to keep students engaged, um and and these are just some proactive things that again um is probably a review for um for most teachers who are listening um so um one of the simple things um that uh is hard to implement i think sometimes is thinking about well what is actually the length of this child's attention span and if it's really only five or ten minutes then the instructional time should really not be more than five or 10 minutes without allowing for some sort of wiggle break or providing the child with a way to really be actively involved, um, be a helper, um, have a special role. Um, There's certainly other strategies that can be used to help support engagement and increase um, attention to instruction, Um, um, nonverbal cue cards like we were looking at earlier are very helpful. Um, teaching kids, you know, simple strategies like one, two, three, eyes on me. We think of that as sort of um, uh, a strategy for younger students. But again, um, early elementary students with ADHD may in, their self-regulation may in fact resemble more likely resemble a student um, in in preschool than a kindergartner, or first grader. So I mentioned maximizing positive feedback. and one of the specific strategies that I like to encourage is catching the student being being good. This is simple in theory, but but harder harder to do, I think because uh, naturally um, teachers, and really, this is not just teachers, this is sort of all of us. I think we're just uh, we are built to pay attention to difficulties and concerns in our environment and and we tend to notice negative behaviors more than we notice positive behaviors. And one of the things that can really lead to a negative spiral of behavior in the classroom is when students with ADHD just feel like they're, they're, they're in a hole and their teacher doesn't like them. So um, I would never underestimate the power of that positive feedback, not only positive, but also lots of feedback, letting students know when they're on track, telling them, like the example I gave earlier, specifically what they are doing right. Um, you know, you worked so hard to write your name, you got it on the lines. Um, you were very friendly you shared um, you know with so-and-so who's next than you next to you Um, you packed up all um, the books you needed uh, for your homework in your bag Um, being really specific and noticing those things in a way that again we might not think um, that as adults we should have to but considering the self-regulation delays it in fact is is really important and, and perhaps almost critical um, one of the things we also know about positive feedback with students with ADHD is that we sometimes say that they, um, uh, you, you need a megaphone so that they can, they can hear your feedback and, and even to hear your praise. And so what we mean by that is that um, you really sometimes have to make sure that they're listening to you before you give them feedback and praise. So you may need to get their eye contact. And uh, the other thing I would encourage is really praising that effort and improvement, not just accomplishment. Um, And a rule of thumb, which is sometimes helpful if teachers want to even sort of keep track of themselves for a day or a class period with a student who has been challenging for them, just keep a list and see how often am I giving redirections or corrections versus positive feedback, and that may be an interesting exercise um, for thinking about ways to, to shift that. So, incentives can be really helpful. I will make a comment that um, we really just used incentives as behavioral scaffolding to help students um, learn to uh, a a particular rule or a particular behavior. Um, And then our goal was always to fade that out. Um, But in fact, um, even though we would like students with ADHD to be internally motivated that is in fact the thing that they um, uh, have not yet developed very well and so this is where incentives can 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 be very useful um, I'm, I'm not gonna say a whole lot about this other than um, some of the challenges with incentives and consequences that I noted earlier which is that um, students tend to get hired or bored with things so one of the things to think about is having a reward menu or having a prize box or something like that which will keep things interesting. Um, one of the programs I worked with previously would rotate reward menus every two or three weeks so that every two or three weeks it would be a whole new list of, of things that could be earned. Um, and again, for generalize, generalizability um, and to be able to fade out these incentives, um, a couple things um, I would suggest is um, always make sure that anytime you're awarding um, an incentive that you're combining that with praise and that you're working towards um, having incentives be more activity-based than, than tangible things like prize boxes. And the other recommendation is that for young kids anyway we actually um, recommend that those sort of incentive systems be kept separate from punishment systems rather than having students sort of go up and down within the same system and that is often because it's so easy for students with ADHD to get discouraged and to not be successful with those things and to have it feel like they've earned something and now it's been taken away um, so as I've been talking um, it really is the teacher relationship and the positive proactive strategies that are they're actually the foundation for an effective behavior management system um, the more time the teachers spend correcting and disciplining students actually the worse behavior tends to be um, and so all these things that we've talked about in terms of expectations and instructions being clear and specific frequent positive feedback lots of praise powerful meaningful and variable incentives all of that actually will reduce the frequency of negative behavior so these are things that really do need to be in place before any sort of discipline strategies are used and then if we're thinking about discipline we're thinking about some principles that are very similar to what we talked about with our proactive strategies so we're thinking about immediacy which we mentioned earlier Another thing to think about is that um, and there, there is actually research showing this specifically that for students with ADHD smaller more frequent consequences are better than larger bigger things being taken away. They're less likely to learn from that and again more likely to be disheartened, discouraged and unmotivated than if it's a small thing and I'll give you some examples in a moment. Um, related to that is that there should be ahead of time some thought about um, for example if privilege removal is being used what is the maximum that actually might be taken away and make sure that that um, if that's reached that that no more is lost consistent follow-through is important and um, the other the other piece which is true for any discipline that the teachers know is keeping your cool um, which is something that, that teachers may um, want to have their own calm down strategies when they're getting frustrated with the students so that they can um, follow through and implement some of these strategies. They'll actually work work better. Um, and I think um, that is certainly related to um, avoiding a power struggle because power struggles are just something I think no one intends to get caught up in, but when we lose our cool, um, it's easy to to stick your foot in it. So simple, the sort of first-line strategy for dealing with um, inappropriate behaviors, um, I would say, is simply redirecting the student, and I would try and do those redirections in ways that are positive. So for example, one, one strategy that's very simple and very powerful is if you see that student with ADHD doing something that they'll say they're not sitting correctly or they're calling out, instead of commenting to that student what you might do is to say to the student next to them wow so and so I really like how you have raised your hand I'm gonna call on you and I'm gonna be looking for people who are sitting crisscross applesauce on the carpet or whatever um, the particular behavior is Um, here's where um, nonverbal redirections can come in very handy they help to prevent students from Um, sort of being um, labeled as bad kids when we're not calling their names out for misbehavior all the time Um, and um, when we do have to redirect them verbally telling them what we want them to do instead of what we want them to stop doing and again sort of trying to keep um, keep our emotions out of it will help um, examples of privileges so privilege removal and timeout are sort of two strategies that that can be used above and beyond redirection privilege removal some examples we, we try to make things that are as logically connected to the behavior as possible so for example if you don't use materials appropriately we'll take them away if you don't line up properly you'll have to go to the end of the line sometimes we don't always have things that are quite so logically connected and um, so, we do things like, um, you know, you'll lose one minute of, you know, your favorite activity. Um, again, the more we can make that that same day or very close in the future, the more effective they're going to be if we say, for example, um, you'll miss some recess time tomorrow. And then, in fact, it's a strategy that many schools can't even use. It's not, it's not, it's not allowable. Um, and it's probably uh, not the most helpful given that we want them to have that physical activity anyway. Um But the closer in time we can have the loss of that privilege, the better. Um, We also need to think about, is this student really capable of doing this before we implement a consequence? And if we think about um, hyperactive and impulsive behaviors, that may or may not always be true. Um, The other thing is, if our goal is to help kids learn positive and appropriate behaviors, we want them to, we do want them to follow the rules. So if we can tell them ahead of time, what the consequences will be if they forget the rule or don't follow the rule then um, that's going to be a more powerful learning opportunity and this is where also sometimes we may um, decide to give kids choices so you can choose to um, walk across the classroom and um, pick up the things you knocked over or you can choose to um, lose uh, three minutes of computer time Timeout out can be very effective as a way to teach kids to calm down but it really needs to be used sparingly and um, I would suggest that uh, if this is something that seems like it might be useful for a particular student that a teacher um, consult with their behavior specialist or perhaps their counselors to think about how to set it up because there's a lot of ways in which timeout can go awry. It's not always so easy to implement in the classroom and certainly this is something by the time kids to get get to be in older elementary school is is not going to be um, as appropriate developmentally anyway. Um, But there's some things that can be done to make sure that students are taught to do that ahead of time. Um, and um, where its use is, is really minimized, that it's kept very short, and it's not used as something that, that um, kids will need to apologize for, um, per se, but that, that the goal is to simply to really calm them down rather than have them pay for their crime or teach them a lesson but it's really to simply give them the time and space to help them use some self-regulation strategies to calm down and then they're really welcomed back and given an opportunity um, to be successful and get some um, positive attention as well so what doesn't help lots of negative attention doesn't help for some of the reasons i already talked about pointing out what the student is doing wrong Asking them them why they're misbehaving. This is sort of, um, it's very understandable, but students, uh, particularly students with ADHD are not going to know that and they're probably just going to feel bad when they don't have a response. Um, Avoiding the power struggle. Sending students to the office typically is not something that improves behavior. Um, I do understand that schools have um, uh, rules around that, but um, if the goal is to to change the behavior that's probably not the strategy that's going to accomplish that um all right so just to wrap up with some key points students work harder when they have a positive relationship with their teachers so that's really um, foundational and something that is probably harder with students with ADHD but something I would encourage you to think about proactive or it's more effective than reactive. So the more you can do to prevent the problem, the easier it's going to be. So if you can change the situation or your manner of instruction or how you're interacting with the student, the less likely you are to have any problems. All that being considered, um, we know that ADHD is a chronic disorder. So that means that our supports need to be long-term. And again, here's where um, when a situation or a student is really frustrating, it makes sense to kind of re- reach out to other student support staff in the school Um, and finally just to keep in mind and and keep encouragement um, that no strategy is going to work 100% of the time in fact as I said earlier um, ADHD is a disorder of inconsistency and so kind of expect that and also expect that um, even if you see some positive effects with a strategy that there may be some wearing off so you'll need to you'll need to keep working with new strategies over time Um, and and have realistic expectations and again the more you can sort of have support and conversation with the parents and support and conversation from others in your school the easier I think that will be
0: great thank you very much dr. Mary I think you've provided our audience with a lot of helpful information for managing classroom behaviors I appreciate you being here today and we're going to jump right into our questions so can you speak a little bit about the hyperactive um, child who may have a lot of energy and may just not be able to um, self-regulate appropriately. Can you give us a few more strategies about what we can do to redirect that behavior?
1: Yeah, so the student and and young students in particular, some of them can have um, very significant hyperactivity, not being able to sit um, or or stop moving, and that may also apply to you know being loud. Um, as well. So, some of the strategies that I mentioned I think would be really effective um, have to do with having a calm down area for that student. And then, number two, kind of teaching that student some strategies um, and some awareness of um, sort of where their thermometer is. You know, different programs talk about sort of uh, you know might have uh, you know a red yellow green level for kind of showing where where your engine is or a Thermometer so some sort of visual cue is often um, effective for increasing that awareness um, You may sure. find that for young kids you will need to um Uh, notice that for them so if you see them getting wound up or needing to um, take a moment to calm down you might say you know it looks like your your engine is running really high it looks like it's on 10 or it looks like it's in the danger zone Um, I think uh, you need to do some things to calm down would you like to go to the calm down area would you like to take three deep breaths with me would you like to count to ten Um, those are those are going to be some helpful strategies um, for that student and and I think as the question implied um, that that's going to be a challenging student to stay positive with with your redirection, recognizing that they are going to need a lot of redirection, so the more you can actually look for opportunities when they are on track and give them that feedback. So if a student is really loud and not calm, one of the things I would be looking for intentionally is anytime they actually are quiet and are in their seat and are calm, I would notice that and and praise that um, quite a bit.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much for that. You mentioned the calm down stations. Are you seeing any particular trends in the classroom or how classrooms may be set up lately?
1: Um, well, I see that a lot in um, in preschool classrooms because I think preschool teachers often think, well, gosh, we need to teach self-regulation. Um, I think I see it less in elementary school because we tend to think, well, you're in kindergarten or first grade now, so um, you should know these skills. And in fact, students with ADHD don't yet. Um, so, But I think some of the same things that we would think about in terms of you know, providing a space which um, the goal can be, sometimes some rules have to be set up around the space so that there's not a manipulation of use of the space. I have seen that happen, of um, where students are <laughs> going there to avoid work, for example. Um,
0: it looks very comfortable I'm sure
1: (laughs) yes yes so sometimes some rules will need to be put in place and the other thing I think that is important is that if you have a space you also want to teach some strategies because the idea is if they're going to the space they're doing something and so um, most students are not going to know what that is that they're supposed to do unless you teach them you might say go calm down but they may not know how to calm down and so coming up with two or three strategies how to do that, and maybe having some tools or aids or visual reminders of that can be very helpful.
0: That's good. That's good information, definitely. Now, let me ask, we'll take our last question here. Um, You said earlier in the presentation that it's important to have consequences immediately. Do you have any tips you can share with our audience? What are some alternatives if the consequence cannot be presented in a timely manner?
1: Um, yeah, so that's a really good question because the reality is there are situations in which, um, in which, uh, that simply can't happen, um, uh, given the reality of the situation. So one of the ways you can do that is, general principle actually, is to try and, um, make that consequence a reminder of a consequence as concrete as possible so for example uh, one of the things that we did um, in a program is um, that if there was going to be a consequence or loss of a privilege that let's say was not going to occur until the next day um, or even perhaps later in the day there might be like an index card where there would be an X or a number you know three minutes off of whatever you know favorite activity time they had um, and that that would be written down um, for the student um, in a way that they would see and know that that this happened and that in fact um, you know the next day or whatever that time is um, they needed to they needed to take care of that and again um, as as soon as possible um and given the reality of the situation will be better i do know that there have even been some teachers who've actually been creative in terms of coming up with additional privileges for students so that they will have something immediate that actually can be lost so something like um, having golden time in the classroom where students bring in a favorite toy and then every now and then the teacher will say you know we're going to have five or ten minutes of golden time to play with the extra special Um, activities or puzzles or whatever Um, and then in fact that could be something that could be removed as a privilege so sometimes teachers have to get really creative
0: like a lunch bunch I know my daughter enjoys having a lunch bunch with the teachers so that's great I like that very much well I think that's all the time that we have today thank you so much uh, Dr. Murray for your presentation and your time today I want to also thank our audience for joining us